Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. And this is the New York Comic Con 2018 special edition. I'm Peter Melnick, and I am not joined on this edition with Eddie Wilson, but Eddie will be back next episode as we talk about Blade. But in the meantime, this is the New York Comic Con 2018 special edition, and it features a couple of interviews that I conducted at the event, including Arthur Chen of D3 Games, the guys who are responsible for Marvel Puzzle Quest. I got to speak with Matthew Rosenberg, the guy who is working on uncanny x-men as of this month the king of rock there is none higher sucker mcs should call him sire etc etc because i can't do the man justice hip-hop legend dmc and a guy who is one of the co-founders of image comics he is a legend at marvel comics rob liefeld but before we get into all of that stuff let's get into our usual rigmarole go on facebook at facebook.com slash the marvelist give us a like ski on there go on twitter at the marvelists give us a follow myself at peter melnick eddie doesn't want to do twitter he doesn't want any of your twitter nonsense your tweets your hashtags although they're on instagram and eddie's on instagram as well but we'll get to that you can also follow us on Instagram at The Marvelists, myself at Peter Melnick, and Eddie at Eddie9195, I believe. I'm going to end up basically checking that later on in the episode. But you can also drop us a line in our email bag. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, you name it. We'll take it. We're going to read them. We're going to listen to them if there's audio in them. That, that well... There we go. But you can also just contact us. Let us know what you think of the show, how we're doing. And also, go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Five-star the show. Leave us a nice little review. We take every review to heart. If it's a bad review, we just we, we, uh, we cry in the shower, like Tobias from Arrested Development. Eddie, when you're listening to this episode, you won't get that reference, but... I still love you, Eddie. I still love you. But also listen to the show on a wide variety of platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and our newest option, Spotify. Yes, you can stream this show now on Spotify. So if you have a premium account, you can be able to check us out. If you have a regular Spotify account, you can check us out. But... Those are all the different options. And when you use Stitcher, people, go on stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout, Marvelists. Yes, M-A-R-V-E-L-I-S-T-S. Use that promo code at checkout. And when that happens, you help support the show. But you get yourself one free month of Stitcher Premium. And when you use Stitcher Premium, you're able to check out a wide variety of content, including the WTF archive from Mark Marin, everything that the people at Earwolf have archived on there, the Weird Al Yankovic concert archive from this 2018 tour that started earlier this year and ended, I believe, before summertime, and finally, Marvel's production of Wolverine, The Long Night, which is actually getting released as a comic book. So if you want to read the comic book, check that out. But if you want to hear it, if you want to hear it in the way the story is intended, go on stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout. Marvelists. So, New York Comic Con 2018. I gotta tell you, I've been going to New York Comic Con since 2011, and every year for me it has gotten bigger and better bigger and better bigger and better and that's two words to describe what that show is and what my experience this year was being able to 
go to the show, run into friends, run into friends that I haven't seen in five years, two years, a year, whatever, even like a whole decade, you know, I'll run into people at this show and it's a cool experience. It's one of my favorite shows that you really have to see to believe. New York Comic Con is an experience and it is one of two nerd meccas. This one and San Diego Comic Con. But in my opinion, as a biased person for someone who has attended the show for so many years, I think I would enjoy New York Comic Con a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot of walking and I think it's 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 funny, you know, five years ago, oh no, walking. I I would not have appreciated that. And probably still won't now just because, oh, I have to go to this panel. Oh, it's a mile and a half away. It, no, no. It's cool. It's a cool experience. And to be able to see the sea of humanity at New York Comic Con is a great thing. And it attracts so many different people of so many different, you know, fandoms, of so many different just everything. And I'm actually going to read to you a post from Cliff Galbraith, friend of the show. He's actually the promoter of East Coast Comic Con, a show which will be running this spring at the Meadowlands Expo Center in Secaucus, New Jersey. I'm, it's one of my favorite shows as well. But the way he wrote this is something that really meant a lot to read after everything that I experienced that weekend. And it made me realize, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how in-between of all of that, this is a community. This is a family. And to be able to go to New York Comic Con, and Cliff just summed it up better than I will ever in my entire life. Here it is. New York Comic Con 2018. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40k humans daily. Among them are fans, nerds, hipsters, scenesters, collectors, parents with kids in tow, kids trying to avoid their parents, comic dealers, cosplayers, cohorts, couples, loners, artists, writers, toy sculptors, art dealers, publishers, agents, managers, journalists, bloggers, videographers, photographers, podcasters, sellers, buyers, lookers, gawkers, aficionados, and clueless dorks. Somewhere in this building are my friends, acquaintances, business associates, and people I will meet for the first time. People I've heard of and enjoyed their work and will finally speak with. Friends I haven't seen in ages. People I may see for the last time. Since I appeared at my first con at the old San Diego Comic Con in 1989, I have always felt at home at these cons no matter how big or small the venue. While cons like New York Comic Con and other shows are on a scale that seems beyond belief, catering to far more than comics... I can always find my people. I can always expect the handshakes, hugs, and kisses of friends. There's the potential for anyone to pop out of anywhere or shout my name from somewhere in a crowded aisle. The kidding, carousing, and camaraderie of those who make, collect, and love comics is a special club. When I first got into making comics, it was a much maligned, misunderstood subculture. Now it is the culture. Now massive crowds around the world converge on venues to celebrate pop culture, comics, video games, and animation. Now comics can be viewed on a tablet. Now comics are turned into films and TV shows at an incredible rate. Now the general public is dressed in t-shirts, jackets, sneakers, hats, and backpacks adorned with comic images, a level once reserved only for pro and college sports. Yes, it's out of control and overcrowded. And yes, much of the cons have little to do with actual comic books. But somewhere in the crowd are my friends, my culture, my passion, my place in the world. And the way Cliff wrote that summed it up perfectly. I've been very fortunate to befriend a lot of people in this community. Sure, there are the people that, you know, I may not get along with, I may not see eye to eye with, but at the end of the day, we all have the same love of this medium, of comics, of geek culture, pop culture in general. And it's cool to be able to walk up to friends, have a conversation about the latest episode of Gotham, or the latest Netflix show, or the latest issue of a series, or the latest video game. It's very special and important. And that's, you know, you look at this show. You look at The Marvelous, how Eddie and I became friends. 
Eddie and I have both often discussed the day I was at his radio station, WVOS, at a former job of mine, former, you know, project I was working on. And I saw him wearing a comic book shirt. And I'm like, wow, he's probably a fan because he just, he, he might just very well be a fan. Walk up and we talk shop for like maybe 15 minutes before my friend who I was working with, he called me over. I'm like, oh man, I got to go. But a pleasure meeting you, man. It was really nice talking to you. Back in my mind thinking I would never, ever talk to this guy ever again because he's, you know, doing his own thing, whatever. Next time I'm there, I made sure to talk to him. And yeah, the rest is history. And that's, again, the thing about gig culture that I love. There's a lot of talk going on about Comicsgate. And I'm not really going to give my opinion on this other than the fact of do what you like. Do what you love. Enjoy whatever the hell you want to enjoy. Oh, someone doesn't like the fact that you're in this as well and you're enjoying this? Be the person that accepts these people coming in. Because guess what? That person that comes along, they're not a fly-by-night person. They're not, oh, I'm whatever. I, you know, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm just in it, you know, for whatever. Guess what? They actually do have the same love of this stuff as you do. Maybe not to the degree you do, but they still enjoy it. And they can enjoy it in different ways. They can enjoy it through their love of cosplay, their love of comics, their love of collecting, whatever. And I always, I say this to my friends and I'll go with the way I always say it. You're really upset more people are coming into this fandom. You're really upset about the fact more people want to talk to your nerdy ass. Because that's the truth. I'm ecstatic I get to talk to people. I'm ecstatic that I'll get tweets from some of the listeners of the show saying, could you give me your opinion on something? And then the one person emails or tweets back, thank you for responding. First off, that's common, you know, courtesy. Curtis E. Bear, the courtesy bear. But it's awesome to hear from fans like yourselves asking for my opinion. Like, my opinion matters. Apparently it does. But it's cool, and it means a lot. To be able to talk to all of you on this platform means a lot. And I just want to say thank you. And thank you for places like Read Pop for giving the venue of New York Comic Con. Thank you for people like Cliff Galbraith for bringing the platform of East Coast Comic Con. Mitch Halleck, Terrificon. All of these different shows. All of these people helping out, bringing people together for the stuff that, as my one friend BJ Booth says, the crap we used to get beat up for in school. And now it rules the pop culture landscape. It's friggin' cool. And we see all of these things converge in different ways. Video games. Comic book video games. If you told me that I would still be playing a Spider-Man game in 2018 when I'm pushing 30... I would have thought you were crazy. Oh, I'm going to be, one, I'm going to be growing out of that. Two, it's probably not even going to be good. And it's a friggin' masterpiece. We see things like the Marvel Puzzle Quest game, which we're going to be getting to in a moment with Arthur Chen. Stuff like that, that's fun. And just brings people together, as Arthur mentions during the interview, with the sense of community they have. Let your freak flag fly, people. Plain and simple. So, let's get into our very first interview and it is the interview with Arthur Chen of D3 Games. All right, right now we are joined with D3's community manager, Arthur Chen. Arthur, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Now, we are at New York Comic Con. This is day three. It's Saturday. And we are at the D3 booth, obviously. And we're talking about Marvel Puzzle Quest. Marvel Puzzle Quest, which launched in 2013, is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. And... I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite mobile games out there right now with the Marvel brand, and it's it's just a lot of fun to see the level of, you know, the degree of characters that the game has introduced. Who is your favorite character you've seen introduced into the game? Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one. We've introduced a lot of characters over, over the years. Um, There's been some deep cuts, too, so I'm enjoying that. So, 
from a character standpoint, um, I love Deadpool. You know, Deadpool is one of my favorite characters. Uh, I love his witty banter, his sarcastic uh, comebacks. Um, when it comes to usability in the game, I really enjoy uh, Doctor Strange. Um, he makes story mode uh, really interesting and engaging um, and just increases the clear time uh, overall and because his flames of the Falcon, whenever an enemy fires off an ability, he'll fire right back. So uh, yeah, it makes for a really awesome counterplay uh, and I think he's really effective in the story mode. Now, what led to the creation of Marvel Puzzle Quest? Who was the one that said, you know what? This needs to happen with the Marvel brand. We need to make ours Marvel. Yeah, so uh, Puzzle Quest was already its own standalone game in the past. Um, I'm sure many longtime followers are probably aware of that. Uh, I guess you know the Marvel brand just really called to us. You know, we really enjoyed uh, a lot of the characters, the storyline, and we thought you know we could really take this and uh, bring it to that next level with Puzzle Quest the franchise. Um, and you know, back in 2013 when it started, you know, I think we just kind of took that leap and said, hey, Marvel, are you interested? You know, we'd love to combine the two together, uh, bring our Puzzle Quest fans that Marvel flavor, and uh, they love the idea, and so it's kind of where we went. And there's so much, you know, there's so many characters. It's, that's the magic of Marvel, the Marvel brand, because it's so limitless. There's so many characters, and there's always going to be something new. What are some characters you want to see introduced in the game in the near future? Ooh, um, that's a really good question. Uh, there's so many characters, and we've actually already added a lot of um, my favorite characters. Uh, obviously, you know, Deadpool is one of them. Um, you know, I'd be, I'd be interested to see some more, you know, like, Guardians characters. Um, I'd be interested to see how they would interpret, you know, Mantis. Uh, that'd be a really interesting character. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, moving in the future, there'll be other you know, characters that'll be you know, popping up in the MCU. Uh, we do a lot of cross-motion there, so, uh, so really I'd be interested to see how they bring that into the game. What do you think is the thing that causes the longevity of this game to last so long and be so enjoyable five years later? So I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, the gameplay is obviously something that players really enjoy. You know, you still have that Puzzle Quest feel with the Marvel flavor. Um, a big part of it is also with the alliances, you know. Um, not only is the game uh, fun for them, but I think a big part of it is being able to play it with your friends. You know, we have alliance events uh, every so often, and that kind of brings everyone together as a community in order to work towards a common goal. And I think that's a big part of, you know, keeping these players around and engaged uh, and uh, just really enjoying the game as a group. With the five-year anniversary that's come up, what are some of the biggest changes you've noticed from day one to now? There have been a lot of changes. Um, you know, one of the, the great things about our community is that they're so passionate about it and they provide their feedback and sentiment and it really helps helps us take this game to a whole nother level, a whole different direction uh, in a way that really improves the experience. So, you know, recently we've added a lot of different things like uh, like save covers. You know, save covers lets you save up the covers that you can't use normally. Uh, save up, you know, for instance, if you have a three-star uh, Gamora, um, you have her set to 525, you just look for that last cover. Um, you have five covers that you weren't normally able to use, but now you can actually save them and convert them into that last cover. And, um, get her to 535 so you can champion her and uh, keep on progressing her up. So I think there have been a lot of improvements to the game that really improved that usability for players. And this is probably a too soon, but when you have Gamora and you drop your phone, do you get a soul stone? <laughs> oh, man. It might, the void the <laughs> it might void the warranty. Just a little bit. What are some of the, what are some of your favorite changes that you've seen recently with the game? Oh, definitely the save covers. You know, I know that's been a, a kind of a pain point for a lot of players, um, and being able to give players that opportunity to ensure that every single cover that they pull has some sort of usability, um, I think that's really uh, a game changer. Yeah, the covers, the covers are some of my favorite things in the game because you see, you know, a lot of the old school artwork, and definitely. it's just there's so many iconic covers. What are actually some of your favorite covers that you've seen utilized in the game? Oh man, I wish I had like a game right in front of me so I could just scroll through it because there's so many. Um, 
<laughs> so this one is actually a community favorite, uh, almost like a meme status, really. Uh, but Dazzler uh, is a character that the community has always wanted, um, almost, like I said, to, to like a meme status. And they were blown away by the fact that we actually added her in. And I really love her cover because it really embodies everything that she stands for, you know, music, dance, um, and, uh, no, I, th I think that's a really great cover. I really enjoy it. Now, the game is known as a mobile iOS Android game. Will this game ever see maybe a PlayStation Online store, Nintendo Switch, etc.? I mean, anything's really a possibility. Um, as of right now, we're primarily focusing on Android and iOS, um, and, you know, we have Steam available as well, too. Um, but you never know, really. Uh, with different consoles and platforms coming out, uh, it's really just a matter of um, what we want to tackle next. Quite frankly, this is the perfect game for the Switch especially. Just oh, yeah. that on-the-go kind of feel, and plus utilizing the touchscreen, I would I would pay top dollar for that. Just an <laughs> FYI, getting that out there, guys. So before we go, how can people get a hold of you guys on social media and questions, comments pertaining to the game in the future that they might want to know? For sure. So uh, we have uh, social media channels, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, you can check those out. It's Marvel Puzzle Quest and MPG Puzzle Quest. Uh, we've also got our forum that you can check out. Uh, you can go on d3go.com/forum, and uh, you can check out all the new content for you know Marvel Puzzle Quest, Magic, uh, the Gathering Puzzle Quest, and any other D3Go games that we have. And there's a lot of crossover appeal. Before we before we wrap this up, there's a lot of crossover appeal with Magic the Gathering and Marvel. Why should the Marvel fans check out Magic the Gathering Puzzle Quest? Uh, so yeah, uh, Magic the Gathering is a fantastic card game. Uh, you know, it adds all the strategy of the card games uh, into the Puzzle Quest franchise. And uh, if you really want, you know, that challenge of strategy, that increased um, flexibility in design, really. Because, you know, in Marvel Puzzle Quest, you only get three characters. In Magic, you get the benefit of ten different cards and a whole planeswalker that you can utilize. So, uh, really, if you want to try out a different style of gameplay uh, with that same Puzzle Quest functionality, then uh, definitely give it a try. You might Blue, Blue doesn't do any counters that make you want to pull your hair out, does it? Because that's why, one of my least favorite things about Magic. Sure, sure. Um, there, there are some, you know, we do want to maintain that kind of blue flavor. So there are some counter spells in there. But don't worry, you know, we do want to maintain that kind of excitement and that fun of being able to actually play the cards that you want to play. So, uh, yeah. Now, Arthur, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Me? Um, one sec. That's a good question, actually. Uh, I mean, I'm the uh, community manager, so you'll actually find me on the D3Go forums as Brinkby. So uh, if you want to stop by and uh, say hi to me there, uh, that's uh, probably the way to go. Very cool. Arthur, thank you for your time. Thank you. Next up, I want to bring to you our interview with Matthew Rosenberg, the current writer of The Uncanny X-Men. And I mean it when I say it in here. I feel, part of me feels like I'm kissing ass a little, but to be honest, I've just been a fan of this guy's work for a number of years. And to see him... Not just grow up, but glow up as a talent. It's awesome, man. It's cool to see a dude who is so humble, so positive with what he's doing, make it to the big leagues. And he deserves every bit of success that he's attained so far. And will continue to attain. Because, let's face it, he knows what he's doing. He, he has a major love of these characters and just the comic book genre as a whole. The medium of comics. And now let's get to that interview right now. We are joined right now. This is a interview, three years in the making. Matthew Rosenberg of Marvel Comics. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I now it's like so much pressure now. Three years. There, there was a lot of drum roll. I don't know if you get, I could hear it, but it was just really intense. Yeah, yeah. It was all in my head. Yeah. Was, yeah. I could hear it though. It, it was loud, right? Yeah. But anyway, Matthew, so let's get into the fact that you are a part of right now the golden age of Marvel Comics, like a new age golden age. Uh-huh. It's you, it's people like Chip Zdarsky, Aaron Cooter, who else? Uh, Donnie Cates writing, you know, almost every single Marvel book, pretty much. We have Nick Spencer, etc., etc. Just all of this talent. Al Ewing. Al Ewing's awesome. And 
what is it like being a part of this current crop of talent? Uh, it's awesome. Uh, it, it's really nice to like be able to like, you know, we just had the Marvel Creative Retreat, and it's 14 writers and a few artists, uh, four or five artists, and to sit there and, and look around the room and, and just re really like, there's a lot of people I really respect and look up to in that room, and 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 that's really awesome to be like inspired by by your coworkers and your peers is is uh, it's it's a good feeling. For sure. One of the big things that's happening this year is you will be doing Uncanny X-Men as yes. of this recording. Like, as of this recording, as in, it'll be coming out in a few weeks. Yes, comes out in November, begins in November. And what was that like when you got that phone call? Uh, it's awesome. It's, you know, incredibly intimidating, but... Uh, it's incredibly intimidating, but it's it's you know it's a dream come true. It's literally my childhood dream come true. So uh, you try not to look that too much in the face and and do your best job and keep your head down and try not to blow it. With Uncanny X Men, you've had prior experience working on the characters with Astonishing as well as the resurrection of the Phoenix. Yes. Whose idea was it to bring back the Phoenix and? Again, you are given these major events, and it's just such a cool thing to see that you know they're entrusting you with this, and you deliver. You, and I'm not just saying this as a you know because I'm here and all this. I've been ringing your praises as a comic book writer for the past three, four years now. Oh, thank you. And it's just incredible content. Now. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean it's uh, bringing back Jane and, and Phoenix was uh, Marvel's idea. Um, they they decided it had been long enough. I I happily agreed that Gene uh, is you know one of my favorite characters and a founding X Man and and um, they they were kind enough to to give me a shot at that and to really you know see what I could do and I came in and and I had a pitch and I think it was not at all they've told me it was not at all what they were expecting uh, or looking for, but. In the, at the time, it was me and a, a bunch of the senior editors and editor-in-chief, and um, I, I was, they liked it, and they, they were willing to take a chance on it, and um, I'm really lucky that, that it's such a great group of editors and people who are very excited about innovating and new stories and content that, like, they had an idea in their head and they let me do something, bring them something that was almost the opposite of what their idea was. Yeah. Um, now, what are some characters that you might be introducing into your version of the Uncanny X-Men? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of... What we're trying to do in Uncanny a lot is, like... It's a lot of a lot of two things. It's like, we, we've been referring to it... Uh, I'm doing it with Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson, and we're doing, like, a... We and a, and a team of great artists. And Thank you. And we've been doing it... We've been referring to it as, like, looking two ways at once. We're, we're looking back and trying to pay tribute to all the great eras of X-Men we love from, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, now, uh, and then look forward and see how we can push the X-Men forward and change them and evolve them. So it's, it's uh, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, but I think there's a bunch of people that people have been pretty surprised to see. We can't talk about too many details, but I think, you know, seeing Multiple Man be a prominent character in the book caught people off guard. I think seeing Legion was something people weren't expecting to see on the cover of an X -Men, Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and obviously the one that made the biggest splash was seeing X-Man, X-Man's return, uh, is something that I, I don't think people were expecting. And, and we're trying to, you know, elevate some people who have not been in the spotlight as much recently, and, and hopefully people are into that. But it's also, you know, it's Storm and Kitty and Bishop and, and Laura and Nightcrawler and you know a lot of the X-Men you, you know and love so and on top of working on Uncanny X-Men you're also working on the Punisher title yes and there's a lot of things about the Punisher I've always found funny just the over-the-topness of the character yeah and there's so many bunkers storylines what do you ever borrow some of those elements of the absolute <coughs> absurdity in your run yeah I mean I think I think the Punisher works best like He's gonna, you know, I think the Punisher works best when it's like, you know, it's a little satirical, uh, it's a little, you know, in some ways it's it's Marvel's, like, 
most absurd book and also the most realistic in yeah. some ways. And it's it's sort of a balancing act. Um, There's so many weird things, like you know the, yeah. for example, in Intruder, he gets a bag of urine over his head. Yes. He's had his skin color change through surgery. Yes. He's had many back-to-school specials, which are, no, no, you don't do that. Yeah. Just, he's also been an angel and a Frankenstein he's monster. Punched and a polar bear. He's punched a polar bear. He's fed someone to a snake. Um, yeah, the Punisher is. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a. It's a tightrope act of of not making it. You don't want to make it a joke, um, ever. He's not a joke, but like the unrelenting brutality, is, you don't want to do that either. You, you need some moments of levity. I, I think the, the thing a lot of people that I was nervous about early on was like, I, I like it when Punisher's a little snarky to people. When he, you know, he's not a talker, he's not very talkative, but sometimes he'll, you know, poke at people. And, and in issue two, Daredevil shows up and he, he just makes fun of Daredevil a little just two sentences and, and I was like I never you know some Punisher fans don't go over that but people really loved it and, and reacted they really well it was, it was nice because I was like okay the, my vision of what I what I what I love about the Punisher is in lockstep with some other people's with a lot of fans so that's that's always a nice feeling what made you want to put Frank Castle inside the War Machine armor um yeah the, the War Machine thing Mar Marvel just you know uh Becky Cloonan and Steve Dillon and, and later Matt Horak were doing this amazing run, uh, but it was very grounded. It was very like drugs and and the CIA and uh, they were CIA, like. CIA was Tom King involved. <laughs> there was no Tom. Uh, the but there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of just street level or just above street level stuff. And they were like, let's make it crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said in passing, I think, like, you know, we could make him steal the war machine armor. And their eyes lit up and they were like, oh, that's great. And, uh, and it, you know, we just went from there with it. And, uh, you know, uh, fans were very, very cool. I, I, I you know, the, the key to the Punisher is you don't change the Punisher. The world reacts to him. He doesn't react to the world. And so, I, you know, my, my take on the Warsuit armor is like, it's the Punisher, but he's just got more guns, so. Now, of course, the world of comics exists outside of the Marvel brand. I mean, there's the distinguished competition, there's image, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that brought you to the dance in the comic book industry was a title called We Can Never Go Home. Yes. And could you tell the audience why they should check out You Can Never Go Home as well as Four Kids Walk Into a Bank? Because they're... It's not Marvel, and no. it's, in my opinion, the best stuff you've ever come out with. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I would say maybe that's why people check it out. Uh, but I don't know. You know, I, I, uh, I'm i very proud of my Marvel work, and, and, and I love working for Marvel, but, like, it's a slightly different set of muscles. It's a slightly different skill set. We're, you know, like, we're playing with the genres and the format and the medium a little bit in those books in a way that I think is, people really responded to in a cool way. In some ways, like, We Can Never Go Home is, you know, Patrick Kinlan and me and Josh Hood and Tyler Boss, like, just sort of, you know, having fun and, and, and Four Kids Walking the Bank is, is me and Tyler doing the same thing. And uh, in some ways it feels really self-indulgent to do these books, but like, because we're trying to amuse each other and challenge each other and do all these things, uh, we're do I think we're doing things that, you know, I, I, there's no way to say without sounding egotistical, but, like, we're doing things that are a bit different than, than you at least get from my work in Marvel. And I hear from a lot of people that, you know, there's some stuff they like in them because they feel a little different. Because, you know, we all approach those books differently, so... Now, going back over to the Marvel side of things, one thing that I, I want to ask... What is it like, like essentially you're working on these characters, you're playing with multi-billion dollar toys. Yeah. And when the first time you ever got to use one of these characters, the Kingpin especially, I believe, correct? Kingpin was your uh, first title for Marvel? Uh, Kingpin is my first series, yeah. How did I, that feel to be able to work on these characters with these long backstories, this long, you know, quote unquote heritage, not heritage, but like legacy that they have in the pop culture medium? 
I mean, it's awesome. It's, you know, the, the nice thing about Marvel is that it's not, you know, you said you're playing with multi-billion dollar toys, but the, like, and that's a way of looking at it, but that's not the way Marvel looks at it, and that's not the way the creators look at it, I think. Right. I think, I think the way you look at it is, uh, the way I've always thought about it is that it's a tapestry, and that you have a thread line and, and a pattern and a design that goes back to timely comics and it goes back to you know Stan and Jack and Steve Ditko and, and all these amazing creators and uh, it, and it's super it's super inspiring to, to just add a couple stitches to that and, and add to the quilt and the pattern so that, that's sort of how I, I, I view it my other question is what do you think of Karen Gillian uh, he's okay I guess I was not going to interrupt your interview you know now you've tried the interview Hi, Kieran. How are you? Hi, Kieran. I'm a big fan of your work. How are you doing? My voice is going, so I sound like a You sound great. You sound great. It's sexy. They say it's better the second time. Yeah. Welcome to just go sell your comics. That was He's great. So, yeah. And it's just cool seeing, like, from the bottom up, we've seen your rise in comics. And to see where you're going, the level you're at, it's impressive and honestly inspiring because you're literally local kid done did good, you know? And oh, thank you. It's cool to see, like, just plain and simple. Thanks, man. And one of the things with We Can Never Go Home is your love of music, especially of the punk uh, scene. Yes. And when I was looking at the covers for those back in the day, Big Black's cover was my favorite one that you did. Yeah, yeah. Also, you had Bad Brains. You had many different covers, like, you know, just homages to music. Sure. Do you think we'll ever see that with your Marvel stuff? Because I know they, they, they already picked their own stuff, but I'd love to see more music covers. I know you had a few hip-hop variants, but that was the system of that, I guess. Yeah, I don't, uh, that's not really what the business Marvel's in. They don't need to uh, make Big Black jokes on their covers to sell books like I did so uh, I doubt it but you know you never know I guess it would be incredible like that like I gotta tell you when I saw that cover at a comic shop one day I'm just like wait what so before we go how can people get a hold of you on social media uh, Ashcan Press is what I go by a lot so on Twitter at Ashcan Press and Facebook and I have that website dot com and yeah, I'm pretty accessible. Not hard to find. Matthew, here's to continued success. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for taking your time to speak with us. Thanks. Now, comic books and hip-hop are two of my personal passions in life. I love comic books, and I love hip-hop. I have like a ton of favorite creators in comics. I have a ton of favorite creators in hip-hop. And that's what they are in hip-hop, are creators. They are the ones that drop the rhymes and create street poetry. And that's what I love about people like DMC. The guys who created an art form with two turntables and a microphone. I've wanted to sit down with this guy for a number of years because we're both comic heads. I'm a hip-hop head and a comic head. He's a hip-hop head and a comic head. He appreciates the art form of hip-hop, the art form of comic books. And it shows when he talks about this stuff. When I was sitting interviewing him, and actually I will say this, for the second time, because during the first time, the interview did not pick up. It did not record. And I found that out right as the interview ended. So you can imagine how I felt. Hey, man, the interview didn't record. And he laughed it off. He says, hey, man, that's fine. And I go, I was wondering, could I maybe come back like, you know, in half an hour and record? And what does DMC do? Yeah, absolutely. And... That really put a big spot in my hip-hop Mount Rushmore to throw DMC up there because he got to sit with my nerdy ass twice and talk about comics. And I, I'm still... Listening to the audio to edit, I had such goosebumps listening to him talk about his love of hip-hop, his love of comics. And just sitting there and talking shop with him about Bill Sienkiewicz, Sal Buscema, 
Umberto Ramos, all of these dudes who, in their own way, each changed the art form of comics. It was it was spellbinding, man, and just really cool. And to be able to, you know, talk with this guy about it as a fan, because I ran into him on the con floor. He was with his people. And I see him and I recognize him because I had met him, you know, also a few years prior at New York Comic Con. And I see him. I'm like, oh, it's DMC. And I like I'm talking with my friend Matt, our producer of this show. And I run away from Matt, make a beeline over to DMC. Hey, man, love your stuff. Love your stuff. I was wondering, I do a Marvel podcast and he sees my press badge and it's just jingle jangling. And I go, I was wondering, you want to do like a talk about Marvel stuff? And he was down. And then we did the interview, did interview part two, which man, both, both were really awesome. And both were just as good as the other. So what we lost in that other interview was retained in the other one. And if my, if I'm being completely honest, it surpasses the other one. Let's just get let's just get out of that whole spiel about that and let's get to that interview with DMC, the King of Rock. Alright, this is day four of New York Comic Con, the final day of New York Comic Con 2018, and I am joined with the legend of hip hop, DMC. DMC, my first question. Yep. People always ask him, DMC, what does it mean? D's for never dirty, MC for Mr. Clean. But sometimes I tell them when certain people ask that DMC means that Daryl makes cash. So, DMC, you're currently doing a comic for Daryl Makes Comics. Yes. Your brand, you're getting artists like Bill Sienkiewicz. You're getting Humberto Ramos. And a big name for people like you and I who are big-time fans of the guy, Sal Buscema. Sal Buscema, yeah. Um, When we finished the first issue... As I was learning how comics are made and created and circulated, they asked me, yo, it's always cool to get a a dope artist to do the cover. Who would you want to do? And there's a million of artists that you could throw on the cover to create something that was legendary. But the first name that came to me was Sal Buscema. Because Sal Buscema defined my comic book addiction. When they asked me about artists, who do you want to do it? I remember reading the page where it said who drew the certain issues that I was reading. And when you ended up getting to work with him, you got to see his you know, visceral, visual style, just very animated style. I think that's why I liked it, because Sal Buscema's um, art for me at that time in the 70s fell in, in between Jack Kirby's and the artists like John Romita. And, and it was just something that was more, um, it was something about his, his art, his form, and the shapes that flowed like music. Oh, yeah. So his, his, his art is music in motion. And then you get artists like Bill Sienkiewicz, who has like a very, very, not animated, but very raw, jagged yeah. style to it. Bill Sienkiewicz, without even knowing it, has a very uh, graffiti-like, his art is very graffiti-like, it's very moving, um, it's, it's abstract without being abstract, Yeah. but it's so defined in its own, um, in, 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 ex- in its own existence that it's just so creative and cool. Absolutely, and it's got like almost like the coloring. It's like a glow to it, like very vibrant and like yeah, a neon lights. Kind it's a of. bright art. Yeah, it's a bright art, just like Sal Buscema's. I guess I connected with Sal Buscema's art because even his colorist, the the, the the way um the way Sal Buscema's art stood out was looking like it was like looking at a train covered with graffiti or looking at a wall in 1970, 1980s New York City. You know what I'm saying? It was very, very New York. And you and I talked off mic. You said with, you know, Sienkiewicz, he's almost like, you know, entering hip-hop himself now. Oh, Sienkiewicz is hip-hop royalty because I heard of the name, but I thought I never saw his art. But he did covers for, um, he did a hip-hop cover for EPMD. Yeah. And um, then I got exposed to all of his work. He did, Bill Sienkiewicz has done a lot for hip-hop. Yeah. Without him... 
He was hip-hop before hip-hop was even hip-hop. And he was involved in the uh, Marvel hip-hop covers recently. The variants that everybody had so oh, negative to say about. I love oh, them. Screw those people. I love yeah, those covers, yeah. man. The knuckleheads that didn't love them. Dude, when you're seeing Deadpool and Spider-Man do paid in full, come How on. Gonna, exactly. Or, you know. Exactly. When you see Groot in Rocket Raccoon is Run DFC's King of Rock. I'm also partial just because Run the Jewels, all those different Run covers. Run the Jewels, all that, all of that. But the whole um, connection of hip-hop and comics comes from the comics. The comics existed prior to the explosion and um, revelation of the hip-hop culture in New York City. But if you go back to graffiti, if you go back to music, if you go back to the breakdancers, the breakdancers looked like the superheroes came off the pages with the colored Adidas suits, the colored Puma suits, the oh, colored, yeah. you know, the suit, the sneakers, the Kangles, the colors. We were, hip-hop is comic books come to life. Now, also, one of the things about, you know, your music you were able to get into music through comics, essentially, in the late 1970s. Tell the people exactly. how that was. What had happened to me was hip-hop came to Queens from the Bronx, and all the kids started DJing and MCing. Everybody wanted to be Grandmaster Flash. Everybody wanted to be Africa Bambata. Everybody wanted to be like the Grand Wizard Theodore and Charlie Chase. Now, that was only possible if you had some money. And me and my brother, we didn't have no money because we didn't sell weed. We didn't sell herb, we didn't sell smoke, we didn't sell marijuana, we didn't sell reefer. So my brother took it upon himself to come up with an idea. Me and my brother had a massive collection of comic books. Marvel comic books was our favorite because Marvel was New York City. Oh, yeah. So my brother was like, yo, we're going to do a comic book sale, we're going to get turntables and a mixer. Now, it was kind of bad for me that that happened, as I found out later, Three years ago, I started Daryl Makes Comics, and when my brother noticed that I was going to all the Comic-Cons, he was like, yo, I'm going to Comic-Cons, I want you to get a couple of books signed for me. You know, I want Stan Lee to sign a couple of books, and I'm like, cool, yeah. So when I go over to the house, he opens up this vault, and he kept all of his main issues. When we said, yo, let's sell the comics to get the turntables, I put my whole stack in. So he looked at what I was putting it in, he pulled out his ones, his twos, his threes, his best issues, like um, Hope versus the Thing, Fantastic Four, and all that. But I didn't go ballistic because, fortunately, me selling my my comics to get two turntables in the mix, it turned out good for me. Yeah, it did. Yeah, now, it did. if I never was able to put out one rap record, it would have been a problem. But the whole inspiration and the motivation was just to have an expression. And not only comic books financially allowed me to get turntables in a mixer, but it's time for me to rock the mic. I was totally prepared because I was reading comic books since I was in second grade. So I had imagining, I had imagination and creativity on my side to succeed in the storytelling, egotistical, dynamic, artful presentation of hip-hop. That's why I am the king of rock and there is none higher. I heard Sucker MCs could call you what? Sucker MCs can call me sire. I won't stop rocking till I retire. It was funny though. I was speaking at a school one time and a kid put up his hand. I think the kid was like in 10th grade. He was like, Mr. McDaniel, so all we need to do to burn down your kingdom is use fire. That's amazing. <laughs> then I had to keep paying attention. Because I realize now, and Rick, I said, to burn my kingdom, you must use fire. But what I meant when I wrote that rhyme was, you can burn down the physical kingdom, but you can't burn down the interior spiritual kingdom of King of Rock. So I had to come with something to back that up. You can come and burn down my kingdom to the ground, but I will still exist. So I had to write... Um, like Luke Cage, I'm a hero for hire. Raised in the age of the vinyl record pyre. They came to burn my kingdom, so they all brought fire. When that didn't work, they called me a liar. To tell you the truth, my kingdom can't be burnt. And on that day, that is something they learned. 
immortality. See, it has to be earned. I was bitten by a vampire and couldn't be turned. B-Boys breaking as I rock this mic. So damn amazing as they all take flight. For this generation, here's a little insight. Rappers nowadays can't rhyme or write. They need, they need, to, they need to learn a lesson from Lauren in light or Queen Latifah. Watch them recite. If you disrespect my women, there is gonna be a fight. A lot of fake rappers is dying tonight. So a little kid in the 10th grade inspired me to step my game up. So before we go, how can people yes. get a hold of you on social media and why should Marvel fans check out DMC? Marvel fans should check out my comic book because I'm doing exactly what I've been doing for the last 35 years with my music. Inspiring, motivating, educating, and above all, entertaining. You can check me out on Twitter. My Twitter. I'm the, ki the King DMC on Twitter and King DMC on Instagram. DMC, it was a pleasure and an honor, even, even part two of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So now, out of all of the interviews that I've been able to conduct over the past few years, this is one of the ones that was really special to me. It was something that came full circle. And this interview with Rob Liefeld, the man responsible for Deadpool, Wade Wilson, I got to sit with the guy and talk about a character that helped get me back into comics. And as a comic book head, I love the medium and the character that brought me back in was Deadpool. Let me just rewind a little bit. My introduction to comics came through Harvey Comics, Archie Comics, uh, DC's Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes Comics, stuff like that. And of course, you know, I got I was introduced to the characters through the X-Men animated series, through Spider-Man the animated series from the 1990s, but through comic books with panels, word bubbles, inking, lettering, all that good stuff. That came through with The Comic Bone by Jeff Smith. And I actually looked through my big bookcase of comic books, grabbed it, and I'm going to be actually rereading it in the very near future. But Bone by Jeff Smith was what made me fall in love with comics. The comic that made me realize it's going to be a lifelong romance was Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon's Preacher. And if you haven't read that, give it a shot. It is one of the best comics you will ever read. It is, it is a movie told through 24 pages per issue. And yeah, I like the show... But the comic, of course, blows it out of the water. And I wouldn't have been able to discover Preacher if it wasn't for the creation of this man, Rob Liefeld, Deadpool. You see, back in the early 2010s, the 10s, the 10s, I guess, if we're going to do something with that, I don't know. But that character... I would see through, you know, message boards I posted on, and it was just really funny. I'm like, wow, that character looks really cool, and he's really funny. And I remember tracking down some issues, you know, like, I think paperbacks or, like, digital copies, reading them, you know, reading stuff online, like excerpts, and I'm like, wow, this is a really great character. I'm gonna, I'm just, screw it, I'm gonna give him a shot. And then I fell down the rabbit hole of collecting. I ended up going over to this convenience slash grocery store in my area called the trading post and they had a spinner rack of comics in still as of 2011 and then they got rid of them because marvel stopped you know distributing stuff to like places like them barnes and noble etc and when i discovered this i go oh wow they have deadpool and on the cover was i believe issue number 37 or 38 and on the cover, it's Deadpool with a gun uh, up in the air, shooting the Incredible Hulk in the head. And I actually, as I'm recounting this, I'm realizing that two characters on the one issue that kind of kickstarted me going further and further with this, if you've listened to the interview we've done with Mark Ruffalo. Deadpool and Hulk, to me, are essentially my lucky characters. And, yeah. But, 
Deadpool was the character that, you know, made me start collecting more and more. And I went to my local comic shop and picked up the remaining issues because it turns out the newsstand edition is different than direct market. Direct market is a few months further off. And I got to read that whole story involving Deadpool trying to kill himself and getting the Hulk to kill him. And it was written by Daniel Way, who Daniel is a very controversial figure in terms of writing the character of Deadpool. I like his run on Deadpool, but I can understand why some people don't. It was the character run that got me into it, and I got to enjoy it. But, yeah, being able to sit down and talk to Rob. And Rob is a guy I've wanted to interview for a very long time, ever since I saw his interview he did promoting Deadpool the movie for Collider with the late John Schnepp. And it made me realize he doesn't just love his own work because there's a lot of people in comics who will just sit back and talk about their own work. They don't care about anyone else's, just their own. Rob, on the other hand, listen to this interview that he conducts with Collider. It's available on YouTube. And it's just the passion the guy has for comics really shines through the way he speaks about the medium. And to be able to listen to him talk about, you know, like with with that childlike whimsy and Rob has that effect on people when you meet him and it, it's friggin' cool. He's just that kind of guy, like you'll go up, get your stuff signed, but you leave with a story, you leave with a smile and you leave feeling special. And again, some people in comics are very assembly line. All right, can you can sign it, whatever, done, one done, one done. Rob engages you. Rob just will sit and talk. Class act, awesome interview that you're about to hear. But if it wasn't for Deadpool, this show would not be happening. I doubt I would be doing this. And yeah, let's get to that interview with Rob Liefeld. All right, this is day two of New York Comic Con, and I am joined with a legend of Marvel Comics and Image Comics, the co-founder of Image Comics, Rob Liefeld. Rob, how you doing today? Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. So first off, I want to ask, what was it like the very first time you saw your character of Deadpool make it to the big screen? How'd that feel? Okay, so I got to backtrack. Um, so he had been a cartoon and an action figure and a video game multiple times, and I'm going to tell you, each time was a wow moment. I mean, when Marvel called me, so he appears in New Mutants 98, Marvel calls me and says, can we get him in the next few issues? Mail response to him, this is again 1991. They said, this is the most mail we've gotten on a new character ever. Like, can you put him in there? I said, I just mailed the next issue to you. We can't get him in there, but when people realize why Deadpool is a trading card in X-Force number one, and he's the first 10 pages of X-Force 2, that is a response to the fans. Well, almost immediately they said, hey, the toy guys were here, and they want to make uh, all your X-Force characters into toys. And I was like, what? And I don't know what it is, artists, we love seeing our stuff made into plastic, okay? So, the first time I went to Target and Walmart, which was only a, like nine months later, and I saw Deadpool and Cable as action figures. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, dude, that's a rush. Yeah. And then, then uh, they put them as cartoons, and then like, my kids had no idea what I had anything to do with Deadpool. It's not like I told them. But they were avid video gamers. So, uh, when they were nine and seven and five, they were always playing video games, and there was that five-year stretch that Marvel put Deadpool in every video game. There's a five-year stretch. Um, Ultimate Alliance, he was a key unlockable character. Uh, he is the, I had the president of Warner Brothers, the whole studio, call me because I know him and says, Rob, do you have any codes to unlock Deadpool in the Lego video game? Because I guess he's the ultimate unlockable character in the Marvel Lego, and I'm like, it's above my pay grade, but I love that the Warner Brothers guy is asking me this. It's such a great story. He's harder um, to get than Stan Lee for the record. It. Okay, there you go. So, so the thing is, that all whet my appetite. And as you know, these live action castings can go either way. But so far, I'm batting like a thousand. And so when uh, Ryan was able to don the costume, in addition to being Wade, 
which he was brilliant for 10 minutes in yeah. Origins, right? So we try to talk about that, and he, he course corrected it, thank God, this last summer, in the best scene ever, right? So, uh, no, it's a thrill, especially given the, the, the faithfulness of the design. You know, we've seen characters, especially prior to that, maybe not be so faithful, um, and maybe some, take some tweaks, but that, that is Deadpool off the page on the screen. But I mean, no, I can't sing Ryan's praises enough. He's a comic genius, he's a brilliant actor, he's an amazing action star, and he brought the entire menu uh, when he brought Deadpool to life, and we all benefit from it, all of us. With the upcoming Fox deal going on, this also means that we very may well see Deep Pity himself enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I count on it. I, I, I'm counting on it. If there's, I, I really believe that we're, it's my belief, I have no insight, but I, I, I get the business enough to know that I truly believe uh, seeing him meet the MCU is, uh, the Cinematic Universe, the MCCU is gonna, is gonna, is gonna happen and he's going to electrify. What's, what's your ideal moment? How would you introduce him into oh, I the so, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like. Like, I, 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 But, I mean, I don't know what moments are going to be left to have. Infinity War has to happen, right? Yeah. Um, so, but ideally, in the if it was now, it would be him and Spider-Man, him and oh, Downey wow. Jr. I like that. Him, I mean, we saw how... Iron Man played off Star-Lord, I'm not sure he'd be a match for Deadpool, right? So, this is true. Uh, Rocket Raccoon? Groot? Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be the first time he's fought, you know, a raccoon probably. That's it, that's it. With the upcoming PG-13 release of Deadpool this December. Yes. I want to know, what do you think is in store for that version? I, I can't tell you. Uh, I think you're going to be really pleasantly surprised. It's a completely different approach. Uh, yeah, I, I, you're... You're not ready. It's, it's not a traditional. The great thing is nobody knows what to expect, which is great. Ryan always delivers. Just remember that. Oh, yeah. Ryan always delivers. He's going to deliver with this one, and everyone's going to be thrilled. Now, also, on top of that, we had the first portrayal on screen, live action, of Cable, played by Josh Brolin. Oh, oh, what did you think amazing. of him? Uh, Josh knows. I flipped out. Love him. He's perfect. He is Cable. He's the voice of Cable. He's the face of Cable. Again, can't wait to see him jam on the larger canvas. I mean, my dream came true when Cable and Domino and Deadpool shared the screen together. I mean, I, 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 I don't know that I've been that excited my whole life. The reinvention of Domino in the film, by the way, was so great. Fantastic. And I knew it from, from the minute I already knew what they were doing with her. Um, I got behind Zazie immediately, and I'm glad. I, I just, I know there was some reaction, and some of it was unfortunate, but I was confident that when they saw her on screen, it would melt away. It melted away. It's and not. It, it, that, that seems like years ago now, because people have fully embraced her. She owned the character, she much did. like you so know good. Ryan did. So good. Now, before we go, Rob, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, I'm. Uh, I think I'm at Robert Lightbelt because there's a phony Rob Liveveld account, so I'm at Robert Liveveld on Twitter, and I think I'm Rob Liveveld on Instagram, so check me out there. Very cool. Thanks, guys. Rob, Thanks. thank you for your time. No, thank you. Thank you so much. So, once again, a major thank you to Arthur Chen of D3 Games, Matthew Rosenberg, DMC, and Rob Liveveld for joining me today on the program. And before we go... How can we get a hold of us on social media? I'm glad I asked that, Peter. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash themarvelists. Give us a like on there and join the approaching 10,000 likes. I still can't believe that that's something I can say at the end of this year. Go on Twitter at themarvelists. Give us a follow on there. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. Don't follow Eddie on Twitter because he's not on Twitter anymore. He doesn't use that Twitter account. Why are you bothering him about that Twitter, people? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Go on Instagram at The Marvelous. Give us a follow on there. Give myself a follow on Instagram at Peter Melnick. Give Eddie a follow at Eddie9195. And finally, 
Drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, you send them. We'll answer them on the show. But we will answer you. And we will like it. Also, how can you listen to this show other than the way you're listening to it right now, potentially? Maybe, maybe someone's playing this for you. We don't know. Maybe this is like, you know, a scene in a Batman movie where like the Joker's just blaring this on like a sound system throughout the city. We don't know. But in a non-Joker scenario, you can f- listen to this show on iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe. Leave a five-star review on there. Let us know how we're doing. And we will enjoy the review that's positive, I guess. I, 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 I don't know. Also, you can find us on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, people, which is our main home where we are mainly hosted. And that's also available for all iOS and Android devices. And also available for all iOS and Android devices is the other platform that you all demanded we be on. Yes, people, I'm talking about Spotify. Available for all iOS and Android devices. I believe you can also listen to us on Alexa. You can listen to us on all those things. I, I Apple TV, maybe? Try it out. Tweet us. Hey, are we on Apple TV? If you got an Apple TV, let us know. But for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. Eddie Wilson is not here, but he's always going to be Eddie Wilson, the VOS, Voice of Sullivan. And you're listening to The Marvelous. Excelsior, true believers, mustache, Stanley.